Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas, a wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. Howdy, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. On this week's show, we'll feature music and interviews with Canadian fiddler, singer, and step dancer April Virch, recorded live at the Ozark Folk Center. Down in the vault, Mark Jones has discovered an archival recording of Ozark originals Tim and Dennis Crouch, and historian Dr. Brooks Blevins recounts the American geographer, geologist, and ethnologist Henry Schoolcraft's experience in the early Ozark region. All that this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. Fiddler, singer, and step dancer April Virch was raised surrounded by living, breathing roots music. Her father's country band rehearsing, the lively music at church and at community dances, the tunes she rocked out to win fiddle competitions. She thought every little girl learned to step dance at the age of three and fiddle at the age of six. For over two decades now, she's been captivating audiences worldwide. Listen to some of the fine music we recorded when she visited us here last summer. Thank you. 
He still plays, yeah. Um, so my dad plays guitar and sings old classic country stuff. He plays literally a half dozen fiddle tunes, <laughs> self-taught. Um, and he had he had a band that played locally for dances on the weekends, um, a country band. And that was still going when I came along. And then when my sister and I started playing and dancing, my dad started dragging us around to lessons and performances and contests and sort of gave up his country band. So they didn't play anymore. So he still plays, but he doesn't have a band. Um, he plays for lots of events, though, around the valley and is, is still a, a great musician and, and uh, in demand for it. I mean, he really sounds like one of those really clean singers where you can just hear every syllable, every word, you know, uh, it's really nice. And I think it's rare <laughs> these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah. lucky my parents are great like they they taught me really well what it meant to compete and that on any day 
if you did it again tomorrow with three different judges, it would happen differently. They told me that whether I won or, lo or was losing, you know. They taught me stuff about the music business because from an early age, I said, well, I want to play music. And they'd make sure I talked to the band about how hard that was and how they did it. And they also told me, I, I can remember before that transition happened from cute April to actually having some talent April. <laughs> um, they were talking to me about it. You know, because I was the youngest competitor one summer and I won a trophy every weekend and thought, oh, I'm great. But really, it was the youngest, you know. But and I think it was probably around then that they were like, hey, that is great, you know. But just However. just so you know, there's going to come a day when people aren't just all impressed being, and clapping for you because you're you're little and you're cute. If you're going to do this, you better work at it. <laughs>
So, yeah, so I've had the April Virch Band since 2000, essentially, touring full-time. And so Cody Walters plays bass and uh, claw hammer banjo. And Alex Rubin uh, from Boston's playing guitar, which happens sort of gradually. I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I played backup for some other bands. I filled in. I didn't join a band permanently because I still had my, my eyes set on sort of having my own. But, but that was great experience, and I learned a lot sort of watching how they did things. Um, it's tough starting a band because you have to have enough work that you can depend on, like, people all the time and that they can depend on you, you know? So um, it, at first, you know, I sort of had a few people that I could sort of call, but I could tell that it wasn't going to get tight enough and it wasn't going to mm -hmm. sound like I wanted it to sound, so I really focused on you know, booking tours at least that were long enough that I would have the same people for those tours. The biggest difference for me when I'm going about it is I feel like maybe we have a, a few different left-hand ornamentation type things from maybe the Irish and Scottish tradition. Maybe more of those stayed in the tradition, um, especially in the Ottawa Valley. Some of the things that we have in common is that it is very much about the melody. You know, we're not taking crazy solos over the chord changes. You're playing the tune, you're varying it slightly with different ornaments or bowings, that kind of thing, and it's danceable. That's like a major, you know, whether it be step dancing or square dancing, it's it's music for dancing. Um, so I think that's definitely what we have in common. Now, the way that we go about it, um, one of the major differences for me is in the bowing. But it's it's more articulate, so it's almost like there's there's more of a clip, 
And there's there's a syncopation, which I think is true in both traditions, but we go about it a different way. Um, it's very, very happy <laughs> sounding in that way. If I can stay away long enough, maybe I'll forget you. If I can stay away long enough, I'll lose my love for you. If I can get you out of my mind Another love I'll try to find Then I'll live my life in happiness Till the end of time If I can stay away long enough Maybe you'll forget me I can stay away long enough If you will let me be Cause I know Fiddler April Virch and her band from the Ottawa Valley in Canada. April started that set with a couple of hot instrumentals, followed by Midnight Serenade and the Stern Wheeler, Spider Bit the Baby and Durango Hornpipe, and we faded out on If I Can Stay Away Long Enough. I'll be playing lots more of April's fine fiddling in today's show. But after this break, let's go down to the vault where Mark Jones says he's found an old recording of one of the Ozark's finest fiddlers. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Time once again for a trip down to the vault to visit with Mark Jones. Let's see what he's found for us this week. Hello there, Dave. How you doing? Well, I'm doing good, Mark. Good to see you. Good. Hey, I got a, I've got a question for you. Yes, sir. Fiddle players. I want to talk to you about fiddle players a little bit. You know I love fiddle music, and uh, I want to know who you think was one of the outstanding fiddle players around this area. You know, Dave, there's a lot of different fiddle players around here, and they all play a little bit different style. I knew that was going to be a hard question. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you have the real fast, hard-driving dance fiddle players, and then you've got some that are just slower, more soft, and one of my favorites 
for just kind of all around is a fellow named Tim Crouch. I thought it might be Tim. He's the, really the one that I had in mind. I first saw Tim when he was just a kid. Gosh, he was probably eight or nine years old on the court square in Mountain View, fiddling up a storm. He got to where he won most every contest there was. Now I believe he works as a judge for fiddle contests. I think he does when he shows up. They got a new judge. But I ran across this the other day. He and his brother came up for one of the contests, and Tim's playing an old contest tune called uh, Dill Pickle Rag, him and Dennis Crouch. Dennis is a fine player, too. Now, I know he's a super bass player. He does a lot of session work over in Nashville. He does, but uh, he also plays a real smooth rhythm guitar for, uh, you know, like Texas swing uh-huh. type music. And uh, Dill Pickle Rag, you, you, I'll just let you listen to that and listen to both them Crouch boys. Okay. wasn't a bad note in that whole tune, was there? No, I didn't find ah, one. Ah, that Tim. Those boys are from Strawberry, Arkansas, just a little tiny community. Oh, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 miles from here and make it up to Mountain View whenever they can, don't they? That's right. They come up here quite often, actually, and uh, they're just great fellas. Great fellas, just good old down-home nice guys, aren't they? They are. Yep. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I'll see you again next week. Thank you, Dave. While April Virch is perhaps best known for playing traditional fiddle styles from her native Ottawa Valley, Canada, her performances extend into old-time American and Appalachian styles and far beyond for a well-rounded tour de force of North Americana sounds. At the heart lie Virch's delicate voice, energetic footwork, and stunning playing. Sometimes she sings, step dances, and fiddles all at once with apparent ease and precision. 
Let's go back down to the stage for more from April and her band. the Ottawa Valley tradition has changed so much. Um, I have been studying um, sort of the pioneer, the grandfather, I guess, of the Ottawa Valley style. And his name was Donnie Gilchrist. And he actually did work in the logging camps. Um, and he taught my dance teacher, who was Buster Brown. And Buster taught me. Um, Buster Brown and Jill Roy are sort of the same age. They had two different sort of dance schools and two different styles a little bit as well. Um, but they were the ones that sort of took this style and put it into a form that it could be taught, that made actual steps, um, so to speak. Um, and so going back and watching Donnie dance, uh, I've been doing a lot of that and trying to to understand, you know, the roots of it really well. And I want to do more of that. There's a lot of stuff that I think has been forgotten. Donnie had some kids too um, that are great dancers and there's videos of them. So yeah, the Gilchrist family.
those are the things we have in common with tap. I think we have an equal amount in common with like the Irish hard shoe um, in terms of the way the steps are sort of built, um, a little bit of the French Canadian. I think the tap is more of a recent uh, integration. I mean, there are back home, especially in Ontario, there are a lot of competitions for this style of dance. It's not it's not like heavy competition, but it, it's one of the things that happens in the summer on the weekends, you know, and it's it's mostly social, but it is a competition. And so people are we're always looking at ways to bring stuff in to get a leg up, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, like they'd learn a few flat footing or clogging steps or they'd learn a tap step or an Irish step and sort of work it into the Ottawa Valley style. And so it's evolved really quickly. Like even since I stopped competing and started touring, I go back and watch those dancers. And to me, it's almost another whole dance form now.
No, it's still, it's still performed to fiddle and piano, so it's traditional in that sense. One of the things, though, that I think has really changed in the tradition is it has gotten a lot fuller. I feel like you used to listen to the fiddle tune and you were almost dancing that melody, or at least it was like a duet, whereas now it sounds a lot fuller and... Uh, almost too full for my tastes when I listen to to uh, a modern dancer. Um, yeah, how many clicks can I fit in here? It's yeah. it's less about the tune, you know, which which is is too bad. So that's something I always try to be mindful of when I'm teaching and when I'm dancing. You know, is it's about it's about the melody. Like let's dance the melody. You know, it's it's very much another instrument. It's like I was playing guitar or banjo. You know. You have to be you have to be mindful of of what's happening musically. It's it's another instrument. Wow, that was another fine set of tunes from Canadian fiddler April Virch. We just heard Kumla Polska, followed by Five Miles from Town and The Spotted Pony, Cruel Willie, and we faded out with Tennessee. After this short break, Ozark folklorist Brooks Blevins recounts the story of Henry Schoolcraft's exploration of the White River country. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Year 2018 marks the 200th anniversary of an event that has great importance for anyone interested in the history of the old Ozarks. It was 200 years ago, in the fall of 1818, that two young explorers set out from the little lead mining town of Potosi, Missouri, and ventured deep into the heart of the Ozark region. 
Their three-month journey would likely not be remembered at all but for the publication of one explorer's journal in London in 1821. That explorer and author, a young man named Henry Rose Schoolcraft, is something of a legend in the history of the old Ozarks. In this first installment of a three-part series on Schoolcraft's journey, we'll meet the man who first told the world about the hardy pioneers of the Ozarks as he and his companion leave civilization behind and plunge into the wilderness. Only 25 years old at the time of his journey into the Ozarks, Henry Rowe Schoolcraft was born and raised in a small town on the Hudson River in New York, not far from the state capital at Albany. Classically educated at nearby Union College and later at Vermont's Middlebury College, he followed his father into the glassmaking business, but the small factory he operated soon went bankrupt, prompting him to head west to survey the possibilities for a career in mining. Arriving in Missouri in the summer of 1818, Schoolcraft stayed at the Potosi home of legendary lead miner and smelter Moses Austin, father of famed Texas pioneer Stephen F. Austin. Here, Schoolcraft studied the lead mining district, taking extensive notes on every aspect of the industry. These notes would constitute his first book, A View of the Lead Mines of Missouri, which he hoped would gain favor in Washington, D.C., and lead to his appointment as federal superintendent of the Missouri Mining District. So this was the context for his foray into the wilds of the mostly unsettled Ozark interior, he was really just wanting to investigate reports of lead deposits scattered around the region and see what other sorts of minerals might be out there in this uncharted territory. Schoolcraft tried to put together an exploration party consisting of a few veteran hunters, but in the end his only companion was a New Englander named Levi Pettibone. Neither of the two men had any experience living off the land in the backwoods. Neither knew much of anything about hunting or firearms. Blissfully unaware of just how much they didn't know, the two neophytes left Potosi on a Friday afternoon, November 6, 1818, heading for the White River country a couple hundred miles to the southwest. They had one pack horse, an axe, some bear skins for quilts, cooking utensils, and a couple weeks' worth of rations. Each of them also carried a shotgun, which they were soon to discover was not at all suitable for such an undertaking. To their amazement, it was a woman who informed them of this in no uncertain terms. Just two days into their trip, Schoolcraft and Pettibone came upon a hunter's cabin. The hunter was gone, but his wife recognized a couple of greenhorns when she saw them. She told us that our guns were not well adapted to our journey, Schoolcraft wrote, that we should have rifles, and pointed out some other errors in our dress, equipment, and mode of traveling, while we stood in astonishment to hear a woman direct us in matters which we had before thought the peculiar and exclusive province of men. Taken aback by the more fluid gender roles beyond the pale of civilization, the duo had little choice but to proceed on their way with their inferior supplies. Continuing down the trail for a few miles, they encountered a village of Delaware Indians on Huzzah Creek in present-day Crawford County, Missouri, and learned from the Delawares that an even larger village of Shawnees lay just four miles downstream. The Delaware village was the last human habitation Schoolcraft and Pettibone saw for more than three weeks as their journey took them into the vast White River watershed. Four days later, on the Upper Current River in present-day Dent County, Missouri, Schoolcraft marveled at the majesty of seven different caves the pair explored and noted the rich supply of niter or saltpeter waiting to be extracted. 
In fact, the largest of the caves already supplied saltpeter for a gunpowder factory back in Potosi. The scenery outside the caves was just as beautiful, the most picturesque and sublime which I have ever beheld, Schoolcraft noted. To the painter who wishes to depict the face of nature in its wildest aspect of rocky grandeur, he wrote, I could recommend this valley as one of unrivaled attractions. The wild old Ozarks inspired admiration and even contemplation, but scenery didn't fill the belly. After two more weeks of travel through a hard, unforgiving country, Schoolcraft and Pettibone were out of supplies. Lacking the skill to bring down anything larger than a roosting turkey, by the end of November the duo had resorted to eating roasted acorns. Fortunately, help was not far away, even if it came in the form of an unsavory backwoods family. We'll meet them in part two. Thanks, Brooks. Now let's get back to more good fiddling from Canada's April Virch. One thing that I'm sorry you can't see on the radio is this young girl's lovely dancing. This method is fairly common amongst fiddlers in the maritime provinces, and April is amazingly adept at fiddling and dancing simultaneously. Use your imagination and see her dancing in this last set of tunes. we decided to do it, it was sort of twofold because people that are just coming to our music now, you know, that we're still touring, were asking about the earlier stuff and where, where I came from and how it developed over the years. They wanted to hear it. And then fans uh, uh, that have been with us from the beginning were sort of saying, well, I lost that copy or I gave it away and now it's out of print, you know, and still asking for it. And we're like, well, maybe we just put this anthology together and give, you know, the big picture. So that's, that's sort of how it came about. I, I thought I was going to not enjoy the process of listening to everything because, you know, when you listen to your earlier self or even recent stuff, you sort of cringe. But it was really fun because, I mean, that's a long time. That's a lot of albums. That's a lot of band members. It's a lot of record deals and different producers and... I mean, every album really was a snapshot, and it reminded me of some really special people, special times.
the, it used to be harder to be an independent musician, to do everything yourself. I mean, there's so many tools now to book yourself, to put out your own record, record yourself. I mean, everything has gotten easier in terms of being really hands-on and, and just taking control. The downside of that is that that means anybody can do it, and there are that many more people doing it. It, it makes it harder to break through all the noise, but just the fact that we live in this world of, of social media and short attention spans means that it's harder to break through just because there's too much going on. There's so much going on. And, you know, the simple act of going out to hear live music just for the sake of that, you know, um, it doesn't happen as much as it used to.
Eastern Canadian fiddler April Virch and her band recorded live at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. We faded into that set with Fool Such As I, then heard the Steamboat Reel and Billy in the Low Ground, followed by a hot medley of Dusty Miller, Fiddle Fingers, Grizzly Bear, and Angus Campbell. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show as much as I have. You can find out more about us and find links to our past shows at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com or, better yet, come to Mountain View and pay us a visit. Just maybe, Mark will give you a tour of the vault, but you'll have to sign a waiver before you go down those stairs. For Ozark Highlands Radio, this is Dave Smith. Bye, folks. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from the Committee of 100, proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. Arkansas State Parks, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. And by Stone Bank, with deep roots in Mountain View and a deep respect for those who preserve our heritage. More information about what it means to bank Boulder is at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar.